in this modern age of technology and connectedness, we have this new age problem of identity theft. That if a person puts enough of their information out there, you know, whether it's your bank account information, your credit card information, your personal information, I mean, you have to use all of these, you know, personal identifying informational things to get into your accounts and go on to things online, check your email, connect your email to all these different things that, you know, whether it's social media or even, you know, business related items, it's really easy to become vulnerable to these kinds of things and to have your identity stolen by somebody else. A few months ago, I actually had this happen to me with my social media because somebody was able to look at my information, look at my photos and make a fake account and reach out to my friends and try to sell them things, right? And quickly, thankfully, my, my friends knew that it was not me because I would not do that and they let me know I could change my password and solve the problem. But having your identity stolen is a very uh, personal problem. You know, it, it's really invasive feeling. It takes away some of your security and kind of helps you realize just how vulnerable we really are in the world today because so much of our information is out there. And when you have your identity stolen, a lot of times it can happen underneath your nose without you ever realizing it. The reality is all of us have had our identity stolen by our culture. And we probably don't think of it that way. We probably don't even know it. We probably don't even recognize it. But every single person alive today has had their identity stolen by our culture. And they probably don't even realize it. Because our culture has become the thing that tells us our identity. It becomes the thing that tells us who we are. What kind of person we are. Do we matter? Are we successful? Do we measure up? Do we have what it takes? And as we've been going through this series about finding ourselves, right, this idea of finding myself, that going out into the world and figuring out what kind of person am I going to be, what kind of value system am I going to have, in our last episode we looked at how finding your worldview is so vital because it gives you your perspective. And we talked about how your worldview, having a proper worldview, will show you what is true. A proper worldview shows us what is true. And we talked about how we had to look at the, the, the parts of our worldview dealing with origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. But taking that one step further, not only do we have to have a worldview, but our worldview is connected to our identity and it tells us who we are. You see, in our, in our modern American culture in the United States of America, we have an identity that tells us that I have to have certain things in my life. I have to check certain boxes or I don't measure up. And you can kind of, and you can look at these a lot of different ways, but I'm a, I'm a former English teacher, so I like for things to kind of, you know, have either rhyme or alliteration. So I say that, you know, looking at these things, the world tells us we need three Ps, right? The first P is the world says we need power. We need to have power. We need to have authority. We need to have position where people come to us and they just are so in awe of, of what we have to give them, you know, that they're willing to do what we say, right? We all, everybody wants to be the boss. Everybody wants to be the owner. Everybody wants to say something and have it done. As a military guy, I see this all the time that people work hard to get higher ranks. And as you get promoted through the different ranks in the military, man, people salute you. People snap to attention. People do what you say, not because of who you are as a person, but because of your rank. You have that power over them. And our world says that the more power we have, 
the more satisfied you'll be, the happier you'll be. Our culture teaches us that. But next to power, man, there's prestige. Because it's one thing to have power and authority, but it's another thing to be well-known, right? You know, our, our sports athletes have prestige, right? People that have, you know, one of the things that is totally new in this day and age is, you know, becoming Instagram famous or social media famous. Maybe you've got, um, you know, you're a YouTube streamer. And it blows my mind that people can make a lot of money doing some really kind of crazy things that before the Internet would not even have been possible, right? People that, you know, my children love to watch these videos where people open toys. They call it unboxing. Or I, this is just me being a little personal. I like to watch people detail cars. I think that, you know, maybe that's a little silly, but I love to watch people you know, on YouTube detailing dirty, nasty, repossessed cars and making them clean again. And so having that prestige of showing up somewhere and being like, wow, I know that person. Wow, that person's famous. We want that. We want the red carpet. We want to step out of the limousine and have everybody recognize us. Man, that's prestige. That's when you show up. People want to shake your hand. People want to come and, and wow, I, that person is, is awesome. I can't wait to talk to them. Prestige. But after power and prestige, the third P is prosperity. The world is constantly telling us that what we have is not enough. Your house isn't big enough. Your furniture's not new enough. Your clothes aren't stylish enough. Your bank account's not large enough. And you have to constantly be seeking after more prosperity. You have to constantly be looking at, man, what's the next thing, right? And we see this all the time. You know, look at technology. If you buy a computer, you get a new cell phone, within a year, sometimes less, that thing's outdated. The technology is advancing so quickly that you kind of pretty much need to get in an investment plan, a trade-up plan with your technology because within a year or two at the most, that thing's outdated. The next thing has come out, and you have all this pressure put on you by society to keep up, to have the next thing, right? And then we look at things in our life, right? What's the next trip? What's the next adventure? Or we want to have enough money in the bank to know, man, we can retire, we can rest well. Now, any of these things or all of these things in themselves are not bad. If you've got a position of power in your life because maybe you're the boss, maybe you've earned that, maybe you have started your own business, maybe, you know, as a military guy, there's nothing wrong with me wanting to be successful and get promoted. But it's when that power becomes my, my identity that it's got a problem. Same thing's true with prestige and prosperity. There's nothing wrong with being well-known and well-liked. There's nothing wrong with being able to retire and comfort and peace and being able to travel and, and have nice things. There's nothing wrong with those things in themselves. But when power, prestige, and prosperity become our identity, like the world and our culture in America wants us to chase after, then if you don't have it, you don't measure up, you're not good enough. And we've all probably had those experiences, maybe even back in, in school, right, growing up, where you didn't have the right outfit, maybe you didn't have the right shoes, maybe you didn't have the right grades, maybe you didn't have the right fill-in-the-blank, right, whatever that thing is, the nicest car, the nicest toys, you know, if you didn't have that, or maybe your parents or your family didn't have the right name, or you, you know what I'm talking about, all of these things, and you feel like you're not part of the group anymore, you're an outcast, because our culture wants us to get our identity from these three things. But in reality, our identity has been stolen from our original intention. You see, as we looked in our last session, you and I were created, right? Our, our origin came from God. God created us. And so as we look at this and we say, man, everything in our worldview comes from this foundation that God made everything, then if we want to know what something was created for, you need to go see the Creator. 
and talk to them. You know, I, I, I love these kind of things just because I'm a trivia kind of guy and I love this. It blew me away to find out that bubble wrap, like I grew up loving to when my parents would get packages, I loved bubble wrap because we could pop the bubbles, right? That was fun. But it blew me away to find out that bubble wrap was not originally made to be packaging protection, right? When you have something delicate you want to protect when you're shipping it. It was never intended to be that. It was actually intended to be wallpaper, to be glued to your walls, but because people kept popping it, it was not successful. It was meant to create this texture on your walls, but it just didn't work. And so it had to be modified, right, to something different. And there are many, many things out there that you can look at that were not being used for its original purpose. And if you want to know, like wallpaper, what the real purpose of that thing is, you got to go back and talk to the creator. And the same thing's true of you and me. If we want to find our true identity, our original purpose in life, if we want to get our identity back, then we've got to go back to our creator. And the cool thing is you and I can do that by looking in God's word, by looking in scripture. So if you've got your scriptures, we're going to be looking in Genesis chapter one, and we'll hop to a few other places as we go, but we're going to be mainly banking in Genesis chapter one. And Genesis chapter one opens, just like we talked about last time, within the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Genesis chapter one and two lay out how God did this and what God started with. God started with the universe, right? And then he made the planet and then he made the animals and then he made you know, the fish and the sea and all these things. And he, lastly, the crowning jewel of God's creation is humanity. And we see this starting in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And hopefully you found it because it's the very first book of the Bible. It shouldn't be too hard to get to. But looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. We see this very early on, the very beginning of this verse, is that God intentionally made human beings in God's image. And a lot of people, His image, and a lot of people get this twisted. A lot of people try to make this fit this mold that, oh, we're like God so that we can do what God does. If you want to say that you can do what God does, I double-dog dare you to make something out of nothing. Because that's what God does. We see that in this chapter. That's not what this verse is talking about. God made human beings in his image in that God is a three-part being. God made people a three-part being. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit make up the Trinity. And while that has its own topic for its own discussion, the reality is each part of God has a corresponding part to humanity. Human beings have this, have similar makeup to God in they have three parts. So just as God the Father is the one that makes all of the decisions, right? Jesus said that over and over again. I only do what the Father tells me to, right? He said, I didn't come to do my own will, but only the will of the Father, right? God the Father, that part of God, makes the decisions and, and, and it asserts the will. That corresponds to your and our minds. Our minds are what tells our bodies what to do. If I want to move my hands, if I want to move my feet, if I want to talk and say something, all of those things originate in my mind. And my mind is the one that makes that happen. And your mind is even in control of the things that you don't think about, like breathing, your heartbeat, digestion. All of that is found in your brain, in your mind. And these are the things that represent God the Father. His will is what's done in, when, when we see God do something. It's the Father that, that is the will making that happen. But then there's a second part to God, God the Son. And the scriptures tell us in other multiple places that Jesus is the physical representation, the physical manifestation of God, right? 
Think, think back to the upper room when Jesus is having the Last Supper. He's talking with the disciples, right? And, and the disciples tell him, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough. And Jesus looks at them and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? And this is my paraphrase, but, but that's what he says. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. To look at Jesus is to see God because Jesus is the physical manifestation, the physical representation of God. We have a corresponding part to that as well. That's our bodies. You see, when I see a person, when I see you, the only thing I can actually see is your body. And your body is a physical representation of you. But we know that's not all of you because when a person dies, I don't know if you've ever been to an open casket funeral or as a hospital chaplain. I've been at the bedside of people when they've died and I've seen their bodies after they pass away many times, you know. But it's very clear that after that person dies, their body's here, but that's not the whole person. It's just one part of them. That you and I were made as a three-part being. We have a mind and we have a body. The same way that God, the Heavenly Father, is the, the mind of God, the will of God, and Jesus is the physical representation of God. God in a bod, as my youth pastor used to say, right? And then we have a third part. And this is a part that our culture loves to ignore. It's our spirit. Your spirit is what gives you your personality. Your spirit is what makes you uniquely you and your likes and your interests and your wants and your desires. That's your spirit. And your spirit is the person that drives your personality. It's the person that, the, the part of you that makes you unique and unlike everybody else. And the cool thing is, man, when you put those three things together, mind, body, and spirit, it makes a whole and complete person. Same thing's true with God. God has his Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit is the, the, the manifestation of how God shows us his person, how God shows us his heart. In another part of the scriptures, Jesus told the disciples that, that when he leaves, that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Paraclete, would come. And it says that the Holy Spirit will lead, he told the disciples, the Holy Spirit will lead them into all truth. Right? Because that's how we see God's personality, God's, God's wants and his desires. And so just as the, God has three parts, human beings have three parts. And that's where we get the first piece of our identity. Because the first thing we need to see is that you and I were made on purpose. We were made on purpose. And we talked a little bit about this in our last episode. But here's the reality. You and I are not Bob Ross moments. We are not happy accidents of the universe. Time plus matter plus chance. Guys, if there is design, there must be a designer. We've talked about that numerous times. And the scriptures tell us that God made human beings in his image on purpose. You're not an accident. You are made on purpose. And so many times we look at ourselves and we try to compare ourselves to the world and we say we don't measure up. Our, our life is meaningless, right? And then we ask ourselves, man, why, why was I even born? I've, I've had so many people ask me that over the years. Well, why, was I, why was I even born? And the reality is you and I were made on purpose. We were created by God with intention. But it doesn't stop there. You see, not only were you made on purpose, it goes on. In verse 27, it says this. So God made human beings in his own image, just like we talked about. In the image of God, he created them. And he says this, male and female, he created them. Now, that's just a short passage. I realize that's just one verse, but that leads us to the next piece of the puzzle. Because not only were you created on purpose, you've got to recognize that you were created with purpose. You see, not only are you not an accident, you also have intention down to the genetic level. And I know our world is confused on this right now. Please, hopefully, I'm not pushing anybody away. But I want you to recognize on a genetic level, you have intention in your body, whether you're male or female. 
You have attention in your body as to what your eye color is, what your hair color is, what the shape of your face, all of these things. And as we've been unlocking the genetic code, and this is really kind of recent technology in the grand scheme of humanity that we've figured out how genetics, or we still are figuring out how genetics works. But everything about you was created in your inside of your DNA at the genetic level. And so not only were you made on purpose, you were made with purpose. Every part of you has intention. And I love this. David wrote in the Psalms that, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. That God knits us together, chromosome by chromosome, cell by cell, piece by piece in our mother's womb. And it's a miraculous thing to watch and be part of as my children grew and developed in my wife's womb. It was so cool to go have ultrasounds and hear their heartbeat and see them develop. And as they've been growing now into, from, from babies into adulthood and watching them grow and develop and, and looking at pictures and time flies so fast. But they are just constantly changing and growing and developing. Why? Because their genetics have a code that they're living out that God created very much with purpose. You see, you are not just an accident, but you are also not a mistake. There's not a part of you that's wrong or messed up that you were created with purpose. You know, if you were to take your genetic sequence and your DNA and you were to stretch it out, it would wrap all the way around the sun and back. If you were to read your genetic sequence code by code, one piece of code per second to tell the story of you, it would take 96 years. My friends, you are not an accident. You were made on purpose. You were made with purpose. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. I love, love, love that none of us looks the same. Even identical twins have some differences. But the world wants us to conform. Don't, don't believe me? Walk down the, the aisle in the grocery store and look in the magazines. Right? And it's like, oh, you've got to have six-pack abs. You've got to have uh, you know, next to nothing body fat percentage. You've got to have this bodybuilder look. Right? You've got to have these chiseled features. You've got to have a certain complexion. You've got to have a certain hairstyle. You've got to have all these things to fit in. And if you don't, then you don't measure up. We want everybody to conform when God made us all separate. None of us looks alike. Walk around a mall, walk around a store. When I was a, a school teacher for many, many years, and I would look at my classroom sometimes and marvel at how God made every single person different and unique. But instead, our culture tries to make us be homogenous, right? We all have to be the same. And instead of celebrating our differences, even at the skin color level, our racial divides, we get so caught up in that. We've been that way, and I'm, I'm from the South in, in, in the United States, and, and there's still a struggle with that to this day. Because when we look at each other, we don't see people that were made with purpose, that God made even our skin color intentional. My grandmother said this many years ago, and it just rocked my world, that she had this, she was so wise, and she said, you know, God made people, Genesis tells us, from the dirt of the ground. Do you recognize that every skin color on the planet has a corresponding soil type? that matches it. Every skin color, if you look around the planet, you can find a color of soil that matches the skin color of every human outside of people that have dyed their skin, right? You know, or, or have tattoos and things like that. But on a natural level, every one of us has a skin color that there's a matching soil type. Why? Because God created us out of the earth. And humanity is still replicating that. Guys, you and I were fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not a Bob Ross moment. You're not a happy accident. You were made on purpose. Okay, you have made all you're not a mistake. You are made with purpose. Man, you have value. There's nobody else like you. I don't know if you remember the movie. It's a wonderful life. But even back then, people have struggled with the idea that, oh, if I was never born, 
the world would be better without me. And that movie wonderfully shows how people, we need each other. How his life, everything was totally different and was worse off without him. Why? Because God made us in his image. God made us on purpose and with purpose. And this is why suicide is such a sad and tragic thing, because it destroys the image of God. You and I were made in his image. We have value simply because we exist. But here's the cool thing, guys. It doesn't stop there. You and I were made on purpose. We were with purpose. But it goes on in verse 28. It says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And I underline this in my Bible. It says, Fill the earth and govern it. It says, Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. You see, I grew up believing that Adam and Eve were put in paradise in the Garden of Eden to just hang out and chill, sitting in hammocks, eating fruit, just having a restful time. But God made them to have a job. He gave them purpose. He gave them a reason for their existence. And so he told them, hey, fill the earth and govern it, right? Other translations say subdue it. It means that, that, that Adam and Eve were supposed to leave the garden and they were supposed to have children, to have families, to eventually cover the planet and govern it, reigning over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that we were supposed to be able to, to tend this. That's where that's why I don't know if you've ever thought of this. The word husband, right, in a marriage, a husband is a person that's a gardener, that tends the garden, that ensures that it grows, that makes sure it takes it, it does all the things it's supposed to do to prosper. Because Adam and Eve were meant to do that. They were supposed to govern the earth. And long before God created the church, thousands and thousands of years before God ever created the church, he created the family, male and female. And, and there's another part in, in Genesis that I encourage you to check out, that where Adam was looking at everything God had created. God put Adam, you know this, in task of naming the animals. And Adam kept looking for his companion. He saw that every other animal, every other species had a companion, but humanity did not. He was the only human. And then God made women to complement man so that together they could be the dream team, so they could fill the earth and govern it. You see, you and I were never, and we talked about this briefly last in our last session, that we were never meant to live and die and go to heaven. That's, that was, that's what God did to accommodate our sin and our disobedience. But if Adam and Eve had never sinned, heaven would not even be on the table because we would be taking heaven, the kingdom of God, and bringing it here on earth. And we see this. We talked about this last time, that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your, our Father in heaven, your name is holy, right? Your will be done. Your kingdom come where? On earth like it is in heaven. That's our job as humanity. So you see, you and I were not only made on purpose, right? We're not an accident. We were made with purpose. You have value, but you were also made for a purpose. For a purpose. You exist to rule and reign on the earth. Now, that's not just to be, oh, I'm a king, I'm a queen, I have all these things. That's the world talking. God made you and I to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. That's our job. And the way we love each other, the way we treat each other, how kind we are, how we take care of each other. And the world has twisted all of this around so that we're after what's best for us. And you see, and this is why when you look on paper, socialism doesn't work because of sin. Uh, uh, it, uh, communism doesn't work because of sin. You know, in a, in a perfect world, we'd be able, and we saw this in the early church, that when God changed their hearts, that they were willing and able 
to, to look at each other's needs and the Holy Spirit changed their heart the way it should have been in the first place and, and said, you know what? Hey, I've got extra clothes that I'm not wearing. You need clothes. Here's my here's my extra, right? Is that what you have? I've got more than enough food. This person over here is hungry. Let me share my food with them. And if our hearts were in the right place the way God, we would all be taken care of. But sin came into ruin God's original plan. Our disobedience, our choice to take God's plan into our own hands, twisted it. And that's what sin is. And sin is a churchy word for any time we take God's plan into our own hands, where we think we know better than God. And just like what happened in the Garden of Eden, we began to become, take God's place to begin redefining everything. You see, the world has taken our identity. It has been stolen from us. And the world instead says you have to have all of these things, right? That's what sin does. Sin is us taking God's plan into our own hands. And we see that all throughout Scripture, that anytime a person gets given a task by God and they twist it to their own desires, it always falls apart. Even if they say they were doing the right thing, they were doing it with the wrong heart. That's when the first king of Israel, Saul, lost the kingdom was when he did not listen to God's plan. The, the, the prophet Samuel told him, wait on me, right, before you offer the sacrifices and go into battle. But Samuel made the decision to take God's plan into his own hands and offer the sacrifices himself, and he lost the kingdom. Why? Because it was, it was this idea that just like Satan introduced to Adam and Eve in the beginning, right, did God really say that? Is that really what's best for you? And then Adam and Eve took God's plan in their own hands, and it cost them everything. Death came into the world. And because of that disobedience. And the, the, our culture is still telling us lies. Did God really say that? And what ends up happening is we began, just like we talked about before, right? The death of God movement started and we took God out of our every part of our lives, right? We took God out of our homes. We took God out of our, 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 our schools. We took God out of our government. And now we have taken God's place. We have killed God, right? Or at least we think we have. We say we have. We've replaced God with ourselves. And now we are redefining things in our own image, right? We have began to say, you know what? This is what marriage should look like, or this is what financial happiness should look like. This is what satisfaction in life should look like. And we began to redefine everything. And just like the shifting sands on a beach, right? Tide rolls in, the tide rolls on. There's always something new. And it feels like you can never keep up. Why? Because our identity has been stolen. But here's our big truth for today. Our big truth for today is that you and I were made on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. We were made on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. You were made on purpose, you are no accident. You were made with purpose, you have value that cannot be replaced. And you were made for a purpose, you and I have a task to do. And I'm not going to go super in-depth about it, but one of the things that I love about the parable of the talents, right, or the parable of the minas, depending on your translation, is it's a parable of how to represent how God has given all of us time, talents, and treasure. He's given us all these giftings, made us all super unique, and has different positions to do things and reach people and bring the kingdom here on earth like it is in heaven. But each one of us has chosen to do different things. We've either chosen to use it for God's kingdom or the third person in that parable hit it in the ground. They didn't even put it in the bank. Why? Because if they hit it in the ground and the master never came back, the master died, they could use it for themselves. And then one day when the master came back, he held them accountable for that. And the reality is you and I have done just that. 
We've taken all the things that God has given us and we've twisted it, we've perverted it, we've made it into the things that we've defined it as. And as a result, our original identity has been stolen. And like I said, if you want to know what something was originally created for, you got to go back to the Creator. And thank God that we have the Bible to tell us back in Genesis, in the very beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, that He created human beings in His own image, right? That means we were created on purpose, we're not an accident. You were created with purpose, we have value. And we were created for purpose, we have a job to do. We have purpose in our lives to bring the kingdom with our time, talents, and treasure. So I'm not sure where you are today, but I love this passage in the book of Revelation in the church building at my at my job where I, the clinic I work at. We have a beautiful church building and there's a stained glass window of Jesus knocking on the door. And it's a very famous painting. And if you've seen it before, you, you can you, you are probably familiar with this verse. But in Revelation chapter three, verse 20, it says this. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. During my time in the Middle East, I learned that, that in Middle Eastern culture, too, which Jesus was Jesus was Middle Eastern. Jesus was a Jew that lived in the Middle East, in Palestine, you know, in, in the region of Judea, right in Israel. And so if you ever have a meal in Middle Eastern culture, it's not a short thing. It's a very intimate affair where you talk and you tell each other about your day and your life and who you are and your hopes and your dreams and people want to get to know you. It's not a 20-minute fast food meal. <laughs> they take hours, you know. When I was stationed in Kuwait and we talked to people, they said the average lunch break in Kuwait was three hours long. So people could go home and be with their families and share a nice long meal. Why? Because to have a meal is an intimate thing. And Jesus is knocking on the door of our hearts and he's saying, open the door so we can have an intimate relationship. See, only God, the Creator, can tell you your purpose. We talked in our last session about worldview, but man, if you're searching for your purpose, God wants to give it to you. But if you've ever seen that picture, that painting of Jesus knocking on the door, one of the things you'll notice if you look at it is there's no door handle on the outside. Jesus can't open the door to our heart. He can't force His way in. We have to let Him in. And so if today you're looking for your purpose, Jesus wants to give it to you. If you're searching, man, Jesus made this promise. He says, I am the way. In John 14, 6, he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Those are def definite articles. The word the here is the Greek word ho. It means the. It means the one and only. Jesus is not a way, a truth, and a life. He is the way, the one and only way. He is the truth, the one and only truth. And he is the life, the one and only no one can come to the Father except through Him. And if Jesus, just like we said last time, if He rose from the dead, we can trust what He said. So if you're searching today for your purpose, I want to encourage you to go back to the beginning and see what God has to say about you and your purpose. But maybe, and we talked about this briefly last time as well, maybe you're a skeptic. Man, Keep asking the questions. If the church has burned you, if Christians have let you down, if somebody hasn't been able to answer your questions, don't quit. Don't give up. Man, the internet is full of all kinds of wonderful, wonderful things. But I'm going to do a plug for one of my, my favorite authors, a guy named Jay Warner Wallace. And he wrote a book called Cold Case Christianity. And it really changed my, my perspective because it allowed me to really see God's original intention for life and also the ability to prove the reality that Jesus did rise from the dead. And so he writes that book, he, and it's a great starting place for you to say, man, is the Bible trustworthy? Because if the Bible's trustworthy, we can look at Genesis and say, yes, yes, God did make me on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose.
And if you're listening to the sound of my voice and you're saying, James, you're not teaching me anything new. I'm a Christ follower. I know this about my life. Then take this information and become a good ambassador to go and share this with a lost and dying world. Because the reason why suicide is through the roof in the last hundred years is because people are convinced they don't have purpose. Their life doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter if they die. The reason why people can take human life, like the, the, I told you this last time, the 1900s the bloodiest century in American history. Why? Because people don't see the person across from them as having value. That if I take somebody's life, it really doesn't matter. But if I see that person as God originally intended, as created in God's image, then man, that person is priceless. I've asked people numerous times that were either on the verge of taking their life or maybe taking somebody else's life. And I've asked them, hey, would you blow up the Sistine Chapel if you had the chance? And every single time they say, no, it's a priceless work of art. It could never be recreated again. And I said, how much more precious are you than a painting on a ceiling in a building? You and I were made by God, fearfully and wonderfully made. And so our big truth, once again, is that you were made on purpose with purpose, for purpose. And it is my prayer and hope today that you will begin when you see yourself in the mirror, that you would see, as my friend Jerry Ann Webb says, the manifestation of God's imagination. There is no one like you and me. And no matter how uncomfortable the world may make us feel in our own skin, you've got to remember that God made you on purpose. You're not an accident. He made you with purpose. You have priceless value. And you were made for a purpose. You have a reason for living. And our purpose is to bring the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven with our time, talents, and treasure. So let's close and pray today. But I want to encourage you, man, get a hold of this. It'll change your life because it'll help you recognize that this life is so important and you are so valuable. Let's pray. King Jesus, thank you so much for the men and women, the sound of my voice that you created us. And that means if you created us and you created us in your image, then we were created on purpose. We were not an accident. You knew exactly what you were doing when you you put us together in our mother's womb, cell by cell, chromosome by chromosome, piece by piece. You also made us with purpose. You gave us meaning and value to our lives. No one's like us. We were created very much on purpose intentionally to be the people you made us with our likes and our dislikes and our perspectives and our talents and our giftings. But we were also made for a purpose. Every one of us has a calling that you are going to put on our lives, that you're going to draw us into the ministry of your gospel to be ambassadors of your kingdom so that we can teach people how much you love them. So I pray that every single one of us, whether we're a searcher, whether we're a skeptic, or whether we're satisfied in you, that we would be reminded that we were made on purpose, with purpose, for purpose, for your glory. So God, have your way. Amen. Thank you, guys. Join us next time. Appreciate you tuning in.